Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Today, uh, I really want to bring a message as we continue on the reset message that the Lord gave to me, a prophetic message for the global church. And, uh, you know, whenever you're as a, both as a minister and a prophetic voice, uh, you have to be absolutely sure that what you have in your heart is from God. Because we don't want to just preach our own stuff. We want to be able to share what's on the heart of God. And that's what a prophetic message is. A prophetic message is simply sharing what is on the heart of God. And uh, so I want to be able to do that today. And we, we did four messages on the first shift. There's five shifts. The first shift was that God is calling the body of Christ to move from being distant in their relationship with Jesus to becoming more intimate and closer. And we talked about the we talked about some of the things that we can do if we want the life of Jesus, we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And Jesus had certain things that he practiced on a regular basis that enabled him and his father to have this incredible intimate relationship. Who wants a relationship like Jesus and the Father had? Absolutely. And so I want to move on to the second shift today and this shift is an interesting one because it's kind of, it's at the heart of every person that's here today because you're here because you are attending a church worship service. And the shift that God gave me, the second shift, is to move from being an attender to becoming a disciple of Jesus. In other words, just because you attend doesn't make you a disciple. And I'm going uh, to unpack this today as best as I can without trying to offend you. But if you get offended, then please take it to the Lord because it's never my intended objective with you today. But because the message is for all of us, including myself, then today we're going to need the Holy Spirit's help. So Father, we just thank you today for your help. We need you. We need you. As this planet needs the sun, we need you this morning. So I pray, God, anoint these words, that which is from your heart, may it carry into the heart of the hearers today. And Lord, we pray that you would cause a response to come out of our lives in Jesus' mighty name. So I want to make what may not be a surprise to you today a rather... Uh, bold prediction, the church of 2030 is not going to look much like the church of 2020. I believe the church of 2030 is looking very, very different. And I'm going to unpack that to you today. And that's why I believe that God right now, right around the world and during the COVID-19, the number one prophetic utterance that has come out of the mouth of God's prophets is this is a season of reset. Do you know why? Because we're at the start of a new decade. And if the church is going to reach 20, 2030 and emerge as a vibrant, life-giving, relevant, community-touching organism that God has called her to be, then I want to tell you something. Right around the world right now in Western nations, the church of Jesus Christ is going in reverse. Statistically, all around the world, in every Western nation, the church is shrinking, not growing. 
sure we have some shining lights around the world of churches that are bucking the trend and they're raising the flag, but the general trend of every statistic of census taken around the globe and Western nation right now, the church is not taking ground, it's losing ground. So to address this, we got to understand something, that things have to change. Otherwise, we risk what has happened even in our own nation of New Zealand where churches have now been bought and converted into someone's residence and been used as a cafe or an Airbnb because the church no longer was relevant to their community and everybody disappeared from the building and the building was sold once something that had people had paid the price for who believed in with great desire has now vaporized and disappeared. So you can see this message carries a fair bit of weight for all of us today because, you know, I'm still young enough, I believe. Yeah, you can believe what you like, Pastor James. Keep believing it, James. Keep believing it. <laughs> to be around in 2030 to see what will emerge around the globe because... God so loved the world that he created a living organism, the Bride of Christ, the Church of Jesus Christ, that is to be a church of salt, a church of light, a church of relevance, a church with a voice into the nations, a church that is making an impact in their local community and their global community, a church that is able to have power to do miracles, a church that is able to be naturally supernatural and begin to minister the life and love of Jesus Christ. That's the church that is the church of the scriptures. That's the church that we all desire to see, but it's not the experience of the world. They're not experiencing that church. So to move, one of, the, one of the shifts and the shift I want to focus on today is the shift of moving out of the mode of being an attender at a local church community to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I may not, be, I may not end up this morning being all right, but I know I won't be all wrong. All right? with what God has laid upon my heart today. You see, when the Holy Spirit begins to voice the same thing globally, we've got to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And so, have you got your ears on this morning, church? So I'm beginning to realize as we were in lockdown and God began to speak to me on these five major shifts that are happening in the church, when I initially thought, heard them, I thought, sweet, no problem. We'll be able to turn this thing around. But the more I've brought it into the place of prayer, I've realized it's not like turning a mobile, agile speedboat around. It's more like turning an oil tanker around. Do you know how long it takes to turn an oil tanker around? And that's the challenge that is in front of the church of Jesus Christ right now. God's giving us new navigation waypoints to head in a new direction, but it's not going to be a fast fix. It's going to take some time for the church to be able to do it. And one thing we all know, the old adage, if you do what you've always done, you will get what you've always got. 
And so do we want more of the same or do we want something new, vibrant, life-giving, life-breathing, something powerful, something, something that's born out of the heart of God? Well, if we want that, then listen up this morning. Change is on the radar today. So this shift is all about us stopping making attenders and beginning to start making disciples. And I want to speak this morning from the perspective of this is, I've, 2020 is now my fourth decade of full-time ministry. So I started ministry in 1989 as a full-time pastor. So I went through the 90s, the early 2000s, this last decade, and now we're approaching into a, so I, I've kind of, I'm speaking from the vista and the viewpoint of having experienced three past decades of being a pastor. And so that gives me a little bit of background to be able to speak with a little bit of authority over what I've experienced and what I've seen over this period of time. And I do that just to simply give you, who don't know me, some perspective. And over the last 50 years, the modern church of the last 50 years grew under a model that was propagated all around the Western world. It's a model called church growth. And church growth measured itself under two metrics. Number one, how many people can I get into the building on a Sunday? And secondly, how much money can I receive in the offering? Bums on seats and dollars in the offering plate. And so as a formal denominational pastor... The number one question that I was always asked when I met new pastors, this is the first thing they would ask me every single time. How many people have you got going along to your church? Well, number one, it's never been my church. It's the church of Jesus. Can somebody say amen today? It's never the pastor's church. He's simply the shepherd of the sheep that God has appointed to look after. This church is the church of Jesus. He owns this church. He purchased it with his blood. This is his church. Amen? And, and the second thing is about that question is that wrong question. How many people am I trying to get from anywhere around the place to fill this place? Now, I can tell you right now that having a quarter-filled venue this morning would make me very, very sad. <laughs> and it would make us all a little bit sad if we're hardly seeing anyone turn up to our gatherings. So that's not the point that I'm making today, but... The measuring stick or the ruler that we've been measuring the church on is not the right questions that we've been asking. What those pastors could have asked me was, James, how many men have you got in your discipleship program right now? How many men are you personally discipling and growing under your ministry? Or another question, how many disciples are discipling others in your congregation right now. Because Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say, go into all the world and make attenders. <laughs> There's a big difference between being an attender and becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. The question that maybe they could be asking me is, what strategies are you using right now 
to reach into suburbia and into the neighborhoods of where all the people that come to your gatherings live. How are you, how are you meeting the needs that your people, that the people in this congregation are actually experiencing? Uh, in their t- we, we, we've, made it, we've made it our mission by all means possible to help our community. So late last night, we found, we found a, a, a solo mother who needed some food out our way, somewhere out Waimoku Way. And we got out the map, and Viv started a food bank out of our garage when we started a new church. And, and we, we placed the thing on Facebook. And last week, we had eight parcels that came to us via that need. Because, friends, the reality is right now is that our communities are hurting and the, the, the ways that they've got to try and meet those needs are not working for them. And they need the church of Jesus to rise up with love and compassion in their heart to meet that need. And when they meet that need, you know what they're going to say? Why do you do this? What is motivating you to help us? You don't know me. This, you're a volunteer in your organization. What is it about you that you're being willing to help? You know... How many of you like shifting house? The, uh, the stress scale that came out some years ago said the two highest stress moments in a person's life is when the death of a spouse. The second highest stress thing is shifting house. How many of you know that? In 32 years of marriage, I've shifted house 28 times. I've just said I haven't tried the death of a spouse yet. Been close a couple of times. <laughs> you could have got me, honey, when I was asleep. <laughs> so you know when you shift, we've just recently shifted our church offices out of Lincoln Road because we felt prophetically that God doesn't want us to sign up for another three years. And that he's got something better in mind, so we're taking a step of faith to work remotely and not have a hub of operations for a season. Uh, But you know what? Over three years, we collected some stuff at that office. And when you shift, this is the thing, is that you, you have to go through the stuff. That's the stressful part about shifting. So you normally end up with three piles, right? You've got the number one pile, this is the stuff I'm going to keep. Number two pile, straight away you realize I don't need this anymore. I'm either going to give it away or I'm going to sell it. Number three, this is the stressful part. Oh, I don't know whether I keep that. or. And if you're a hoarder, you know, if you're a hoarder who's got hoarding disease, if you're a hoarder, oh, no, I might, I might need that for a rainy day, you know. And if you're married to a hoarder right now, you're just elbowing somebody in the side and saying, yeah, that's you, that's you. <laughs> But this is, this is what I see happening. Listen carefully to this. The thriving, emerging church of 2030 identified pile number three, and they made a decision, and they said, they said this. They said, some of the things that we have used in the past have been helpful for us. They have served us well, but they no longer are serving the purpose of God and we've got to get rid of them. 
And that can be a difficult decision, as you know. I don't know when I get rid of this. I might need it. I might need it some other time. And the reality is, is that for the church to emerge as a vibrant, uh, a, a life-giving church in 2030, there's some things that we're just going to have to say goodbye to because they no longer serve the purpose of God. And the church of 2030 emerged vibrant because of one thing. They made some courageous decisions 10 years earlier in 2020. And the number one decision that they made, which was the main pivotal footprint that caused the church to emerge victorious in 2030, is this. The single greatest shift that they identified was making the move from being an attender to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. They looked at Acts 2, 42 to 47, which is the snapshot of the prototype church. What's a prototype? The first of its kind. And Acts 2, 42, the early church, the prototype church, this is what it looked like. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and in prayers. Right there is more than attending. Hello? You want to enter into some of this? Then it's time to get your discipleship on and begin to enter into what the early church were involved with. Verse 43, fear came upon every soul, the fear of the Lord. Listen to this. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. Does that sound like the church of today? Aren't we more fragmented and divisive than ever before? And the, this description of the early church, of the first of its kind, the prototype, said they were all together. They held all things in common. It gets better. And they sold their possessions and their goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Was the greatest miracle of the day at Pentecost people speaking in tongues and filled with the Spirit? I believe the greatest miracle of Pentecost was that people were willing to give up their stuff and pass it on to somebody else who was in need. That's so against human nature. And yet, miraculously, they were able to let go of their stuff and provide for others who had more need than what they did. And they said, I've got more than you. I'm going to pass over some of what I've got to help you. So continuing daily, verse 46, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So there we go. They've broken the model already. It's more than attending a service on a Sunday. They were in houses from day to day, breaking bread, praying, fellowshipping, working around teaching. This is where we're going with our D groups, guys. This is where we're moving. Where we're passing the authority, we're releasing the power, we're, we're causing others to rise and begin to lead their own communities of faith to begin to empower the church. It's not all about the pastor, you know. Praise God for that. Amen. But this is what we're fighting against in this battle. And they were praising God. And having favour with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I'm struggling to know anywhere around the world right now where daily 
they're being saved, particularly in Western nations. We're seeing the reverse, where daily people are leaving the church. The church of 2030 made some tough decisions in 2020, initially that made it look like they were not winning. But they pursued and they entered pain management in order to get where they knew they needed to go. Nobody likes a shrinking church. Everybody likes to be in a winning church. But sometimes Jesus said this, if you want to grow fruit, more, much fruit and more fruit, you need to be pruned. John 15, take a look at it some point in time. And so it will be made known, I believe, that in 2030, the vibrant, life-giving church that emerged made one of the toughest decisions that it would make, that it would no longer allow people to operate under an attendance mindset. But they came alongside them and said, we want to make you into a disciple of Jesus Christ. We want to help you move forward in your walk with Jesus so that you can do the things that Jesus did, just like the early disciples were trained by Jesus to do. And so the focused, rapid development of a discipleship apprenticeship to Jesus model. You know, if you were an apprentice, I started off my working life as an apprentice mechanic. I wasn't a very good one. That's why I never carried on being an apprentice mechanic. But one thing I knew about an apprenticeship was that I was bonded to my boss. I actually had to sign a contract of three years that said I would be bonded to him as an apprentice in order to learn the ways of the master mechanic. I had to observe, I had to watch, I had to sweep the floors, I had to do all the dumb jobs, but I had to observe closely what the boss was doing so that I could end up fixing cars just like he did. And when we drop the apprenticeship model out of the equation, we begin to understand that's how we ended up becoming attenders. Because nobody was watching what Jesus did and what he said and the way forward into it, and so we eventually slipped back into becoming attenders. So Jesus had three years to make disciples to live, act, and behave like he did. And in those three years, by the power of the Holy Spirit, those disciples were accused of turning the world upside down. Did you know that? In the book of Acts, these are the men who have turned the world upside down. That is power. That is influence. Where the world, not some church report back to denominational headquarters on how the church is doing, but the community is saying, these guys are turning our community upside down. What a report that is. And so what did it take the church of 2030 to emerge as it, as it has? This is what it took. It took them... It took them the grace, the courage, and the fortitude to take a long, hard look in the mirror. You know, when I've been, I've been doing what I've been doing for 32 years. For me to change, I'm going to have to take a long, hard look in the mirror. Because there are things that are so ingrained in my life as a pastor that if God wants to change those, he's going to have to really get my attention. Pray for me. Praise God. 
Because I want to emerge with that victorious church in 2030, as I'm sure that you did. But this is what they saw. The church of 2020 looked in the mirror, and this is what I believe the church of 2020 saw as they looked in the mirror. Churches were focused on making members, volunteers, listeners, and attenders, but strangely, not disciples. Jesus, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. That's just making sure no one's falling asleep while I'm preaching. Pastors identified that there was just a small core of members that were gathered around them. And they were stressed and they were tired and they were frustrated at the seeming lack of commitment from their congregations. They realized, the church of 2020 realized that whole cultures of church were centered and gravitated around personalities and programs instead of discipleship and learning to be a follower of Jesus Christ. They realized that their members within their congregations didn't know how to lead others to Christ. They didn't know how to share the gospel. They didn't know how to pray for the sick. And so they realized that they were never going to advance if it was only left to a few. So it was decision time. They took action and they began to look at what Jesus did. And they began to follow exactly what Christ did. Could there be a better strategy than Jesus' strategy? The greatest leader, the greatest preacher, the greatest healer that ever lived, he deployed a strategy. Do you know what Jesus' strategy was? His strategy was to invest in a few to change the world. So instead of focusing on the many and looking at this massive job in New Zealand right now where we've hit 5 million people in our nation and most, most stats right now are saying that the church is only 5 to 8% of the population, which means that we have 4.5 million or so people that are without the gospel. We have a huge task and we could look at that and say, how are we ever going to do that? Or we could focus on the few like Jesus did and disciple and train them and see them turn the world upside down as they would then go and do the same also. Jesus preached to the crowds, but he discipled only a few. He invited a few and he said this, come and follow me. He challenged the few when they were, uh, he was preaching all day to a crowd of 5,000 people. He challenged the few, the 12, and he said, you give them something to eat. You want to know how to grow? Be chucked in charge of feeding 5,000 people when you've got no food. That's called a personal growth program. So Jesus was never shy of challenging. How do we challenge the church today? Could you make two out of four services a month, please? We'd love to see you attending a little more often. What about how you're going to feed the community? What about how you're going to minister to some of the needs of the mental health sector right now? How are you going to go? We're not experts, but... There's such a thing as called buddy programs where you can get alongside the hurting in the community and just being there, you have great value to people. He invested in the attitude and behavior of the few. He imparted and trained the few and he sent them out two by two to get on the job training and experience. 
When's the last time? I want to ask you this question this morning. When's the last time you trusted God to step out and pray for someone you'd never met before? Because that's what he asked them to do. He modeled compassion and love. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He demonstrated what it means to truly love people and care for people. And it was handy that he had resurrection power at the same time and raised the man he was crying for from the dead. That's always a handy thing to have in your back pocket, praise God. He demonstrated how to do neighborhood evangelism. Sometimes we're struggling. You see, when you adopt the attender mindset, this is what you do. I adopt the way I get people to save, not to share the gospel with them as a follower of Jesus, but if I bring them to church, Pastor James might lead them to the Lord. That's an attender mindset. God wants you to break past some of the inhibitions and fears that you've been carrying within your own life and say, it's time for me to stand up on my own two feet and lead others to to Jesus Christ. He said to Zacchaeus, the stubby, short, stocky, little tax collector who was ripping everybody off, he said, Zacchaeus, he said, come down out of your tree. In other words, humble yourself because he was sitting up in a tree watching Jesus go past. He said, I'm coming to your place for lunch today. What happened? Somehow over that lunchtime meal, Zacchaeus' life was turned upside down, inside out. And he came out of that lunchtime appointment with Jesus and he said, everything I've stolen and taken wrongfully from people, I'm going to restore back four times what I've taken from them. He had an encounter with Jesus over lunch. The church of 2030 is going to be a church that is able to minister over the backyard fence across the kitchen table and begin to share the love of Jesus Christ with people and lead them to Jesus and bring them to that place where their lives have been turned around through repentance. He loved the few too much to leave them where they were. Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. He's he's wanting to turn your life upside down and give you a kick up the pants and send you off with your tail between your legs. But I've prayed for you so that your faith will not fail. Hallelujah. So the church of 2030, 10 years earlier, took a long, hard look in the mirror, and they decided that they're going to stop aiming at the many and begin to focus on the few. And as they began to focus on the few, they grew in stature and favor with man and with God. And then they began to go out and do what they'd been trained to do by their discipler. And soon they were leading people to Christ. Soon they were sharing their faith. Soon they would no longer classify themselves as an attender because now they were doing things that would classify them as a disciple or a follower of Jesus today. Is everybody still praising God this morning? They began to shrink the gap between what people heard and how they lived. No longer here is only but do as also. Did you know that Jesus' summary of the greatest sermon that people say has ever been given, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus summarized the Sermon on the Mount at the end of Matthew 7. This was his conclusion. He said that he who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice 
is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The storms came and they just couldn't make that house fall over. Wow. What was the defining factor? Not that they heard the word, but that they put the word into practice. No longer an attender, because attenders, it's easy for us to hear the word. Great word, pastor. Man, you were on fire this morning, pastor. Fantastic preaching, pastor. And then we forget about it. And if I was to ask you what I preached on last week, you wouldn't have a clue. Now, I'm not getting at you because I'm the same. I'm the same. But what about if you're meeting together with other disciples and you're dissecting the Word and you're breaking the Word down for yourself and you're starting to feed upon the Word and you're starting to become a self-feeder instead of having the pastor spoon feed you every Sunday, things begin to change. You can no longer remain an attender because there's a fire starting to form in your belly that says there's more to this than what I've been experiencing. I'm going to step up into the shoes of being a fully-fledged disciple of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. And slowly but surely, the tide began to turn between 2020 and 2030. Disciples began to emerge that had on board what it took to make a difference to the communities that they were living in. You know, right now, we, the world has a major, major issue. You know, there's, there's no, it's not by coincidence that the last prophetic word given in the book of Malachi, do you know what it was about? That I'm going to return the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Why? Because there's a spirit of fatherlessness. And Paul put it like this. He said, you've had 10,000 instructors or teachers teaching you the word, but you don't have many fathers. He said, I'm your spiritual father. I gave birth to you in the gospel. I'm your spiritual father. And as a result of that, you're not an orphan. You're not walking around with an orphan spirit, feeling like you don't have an identity. No, you're a son. You're a daughter of the Most High God who knows who dad is, who papa is, who knows what his role is in your life. You're no longer insecure, looking for affirmation every time that you do something good within your life because you know and you are secure in your sonship and your daughtership of being a son and a daughter of the Most High God. And I see the church of 2030, millennials, Gen Zs, they're beginning to rise and they're beginning to hold the flame of God and the candle of the Lord within their lives because they've been discipled. They, they shifted out of being attenders. They shifted out of their ultra boredom of why they no longer come to church because suddenly they had a challenge. Suddenly they had something that they could bite off and chew because God had given them someone else to father them and disciple them and teach them and train them. They, they were no longer orphans running around in circles, trying to gain personal affirmation. They knew who they were in Christ Jesus, and suddenly they were praying for the sick. Suddenly miracles were happening in their lives. Suddenly testimonies would begin to appear within their discipleship groups because they caught what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus and not to remain an attender. Church no longer was a place to attend anymore. It was a place of genuine connection and love. Great theory, Pastor James. Great theory. Yeah, I want to belong to that church. Well, guess what? 
2030, you can. Because we're turning the oil tanker around. It's going to take time, praise God. But we're going to get there because this pastor's got a dog with a bone and he's not going to let the bone go. And I'm going to keep going no matter what it takes for us to break the mold and see the true church of Jesus Christ rising out of the ashes of where we've been and where we're going to. And the great thing about the 2030 church, friends, is this. They were no longer mocked by society. Did you know the early church, they weren't mocked by society. They were actually seen as a threat because of the good they were doing, not the bad that they were doing. A recent survey in the United States of America that I read last week from the general public that 69% of all Americans distrusted pastors. 69% of Americans distrusted pastors. They wouldn't put their trust in a pastor being a leader of their life. I would imagine it's probably not much better. Certain people being in the media, uh, in our nation, that have made it very, very challenging for us to have a positive perception of what it means to be a pastor in New Zealand. How was this changed? And let me tell you how it was changed. One life at a time. One life at a time, focusing on the few, turning their lives around and seeing God do something positive. Unfortunately, the church of 2030, it wasn't all good news for the church. Many churches didn't make it. Many churches carried on in 2020 when they took a look in the mirror and decided the challenge was too big. And they carried on business as per usual. And within a few years, they ran out of volunteers. But in a few years, they no longer could run their programs. Within a few years, they closed the doors of the church and it was sold off to somebody to use as an Airbnb. Soon they ran out of those volunteers and they had a mentality in the church which we've got to eradicate. Do you know what that mentality is? It's us and them. It's us, the church, the people that are within four walls of this building and it's them out there. All those people out there, our enemy. Because they don't love God. They don't know Jesus. Us and them. But the church of 2030 had been discipled to get over that and begin to realize that their greatest work is going to be rubbing shoulders with the community and people that live in their own street in their neighborhood. People who are desperate to know Jesus. But an attender thinks I have to bring them along to a church service to get them saved. You know what? You can try knocking on their door and you can try building a relationship with them and lead them to Jesus Christ. Let's give the Lord a cheer this morning. Praise God. I'm nearly finished, church. I'm nearly finished this morning. The church of 2030 made a big decision and they made the jump to not allow Christianity to stay in the building. To not allow Christianity to stay in the building. They saw the needs of the community They devised ways of means of making a difference. They stopped relying on the church and had a realization one day they were the church. They stopped buying into consumerism. 
that has come with the church growth model of the last 50 years. Do you know what consumerism is? It's how to get a good deal for your life. It's how to go and make that purchase of that thing that you don't need, that you've been trained through advertising to actually say you do need it, I must go and buy it now. But it's crept so much into the church that now the church in the Western world has developed a supermarket mentality about the church they will attend. They will come and literally this has happened to me as a pastor. What can you offer for me, pastor? Because there's a church up the road that can offer me this, this, and this. That's consumer. That's the end result of consumerism that we have been battling against for the last 50 years. So in the church of 2030, there's no longer believers moving from church to church looking for better preachers, better programs. They're looking for better bands. They've decided they're going to commit themselves in covenant relationship with fellow believers and see what God will do in and through their lives as they join together. They ate meals together inside of homes. They built relationships together. They shared their life stories together as testimonies erupt. So I want to finish with asking you three questions today. And I believe these three questions are going to help you begin to get some traction. It may be today that this room is filled with fully-fledged disciples and this message is completely irrelevant to you. But it may also mean that you recognize through the preaching of the word this morning that there has been a system that has been strategically developed within church life that is very, very difficult to break away from. And here's the first question, number one. I would like you at some point between you and the Lord to get alone and mark your current relationship with Jesus out of 10. One being, I am ice cold. You may have been hot for God at one point in time, but if you were to answer honestly this morning, you say, my relationship with Jesus is almost non-existent. I'm watching more TV. I'm consuming more stuff that's been put out there for me to consume that I am spending any time developing a personal relationship with Jesus. If you mark yourself five, you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. And we know what happens to those in Scripture. But I want you to do it honestly, because unless we all look in the mirror, we can't make progress. We're kidding ourselves. And the thing about that, friends, is simply this. Every man and every woman will one day have to give a personal account of how you lived your life for Jesus. All of us. You can't rely on your mate. You can't rely on your kids. You can't rely on Auntie Betty, who was an intercessor who prayed for you for 40 years. You will have to stand alone on your own before the Lord and give an account of how you spent your life with Jesus. Have I developed a prayer life that goes beyond something that resembles your grocery shopping list every day? Bless mum and dad, Lord. Bless auntie Betty. Bless uncle Joe. Uh, bless the pastor this week. Pray he has a great week. Uh, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Amen. But that was real intimate. I believe if you mark yourself lower than six today, it's time for change. Only you can do it. 
Number two, ask yourself, am I taking direct responsibility for my walk with God? Or am I saying it's solely the church's responsibility to develop me? After all, that's what we pay the pastor for. (laughs) Jesus told a story once about three men. First man was given one talent, second man was given two, the third was given five. He said, I'm going away to a far country. When I return, I want to see what you've done with what I've given you. He came back. The first man had buried his talent under the ground and said, I was afraid thinking you were a hard man, so I've kept what you gave to me and I'm giving it back to you. Wicked and slothful servant, Jesus said to him. The second man had doubled from two to four. The third man had gone from five to ten. You know what Jesus said to him? He said this, Take the one from the man who was given one from him and give it to the man who had ten. Just the words of Jesus, folks. Just the words of Jesus this morning. And last question today. To become part of the vibrant 2030 church, am I prepared to position my life to be part of the answer for our broken world, or will I offer excuses as to why I don't need to make any changes? Can we stand to our feet this morning, please? I told you there was going to be a bit of turbulence in here this morning. I want you to know something. I'm in this with you. I'm not sitting up on my pedestal this morning saying I've got it all together. Praise God by the Spirit. I've identified a few things, but those things are just as relevant for me to make adjustments as they are for you today. And so I just want us to spend a somber, holy moment as we stand in this building today to ask the Lord those three questions. But maybe in this moment, just to say, Lord, there's something that resembles the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my heart today, and I know I need to do something about it. Could we bow our heads, please?